Hello, and welcome to the Talking About podcast, brought to you by ARU's Counselling and Wellbeing team. Talking About is a space to openly discuss the topic of wellbeing and mental health in a way that puts our students' thoughts and feelings at the forefront. My name is Julie Webb, and I'm a counsellor at ARU. I'm joined today by Rachel Lonesworth, postgraduate researcher and peer wellbeing mentor at ARU, and Dr. Jorge Zimron, consultant in general adult and rehabilitation psychiatry. In this episode, we're going to be talking about managing unstable emotions. Welcome, both of you. Thank you for joining me um, this afternoon to talk about managing unstable emotions. I wonder maybe if a good place to start is if um, Rachel and Jorge, you can introduce yourselves for our listeners. Hi, my name is Rachel. I'm a postgraduate research student at ARU and I'm also a peer wellbeing mentor. And I'm Jorge Zimbern. I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I work at Springbank Ward, which is in Fullborn Hospital. It's an inpatient unit, it's a specialist unit for people with personality disorders. Excellent. Thank you both very much for being here. I was thinking on my drive over about my own kind of emotions and how long it has taken me to learn not to kind of judge it when it comes up, you know, a feeling bubbles up. And if I can stay away from judging it as good or bad or right or wrong, or even stable, unstable, how long that has taken me to do. And I guess what I notice as a psychotherapist as well is in my work, how emotions can destabilize us. That seemed a be a good way round um, in terms of description. So I'm really fascinated by today's title and what we do with these feelings that kind of really knock us off balance. I'm wondering, Rachel, if we start with you, maybe you have a question that you can kick us off with. Yeah. So I think with unstable emotions, um, it, it could mean any number of things to somebody who isn't used to talking about it. So I was wondering, Jorge, um, what do you mean when you talk about unstable emotions? I think emotional instability tem- tends to be the, the, the term that we use. And it usually, I mean, emotions are unstable by their very definition. And I guess that part of their function is, as Julie says, to, you know, they do destabilize you and they, they motivate you to do something. But I think that the, the problem when it comes into the sort of mental health conversation tends to be about emotions that are so unstable they go up and down it may be that they they do it more frequently than you would want to but also in terms of intensity the intensity is too high and the problems that result of a consequence of of experiencing those emotions is what we tend to worry about but yes emotions come and go they are unstable by their very nature and part of it is to motivate us to do something, to behave in some way. What you kind of describe there is almost an alert. It's like the body is alerting us to something, but that is waking us up. It's telling us something. And it sounds like what you're also saying is there's a real fluctuation sometimes. It can be high, there can be low, it can be fast, it can change rapidly. And that's difficult to keep track of as a human being, isn't it? Because we want our feet stable on the floor. You mentioned that they can get quite intense and I was wondering how someone might recognize in themselves when their unstable emotions are getting maybe too intense. I guess 
it tends to be about behavior and whether the emotion is appropriate to the situation and whether the behavior that it prompts you to do is something that is effective in your current situation. So typically a good way of noticing in hindsight whether it was appropriate is if you regret it. Quite often people act in certain ways as a consequence of their emotions. And once you start regretting it, it's probably because something happened where you realize actually that was too intense, too unhelpful, I guess, in, in the way that I, that I behaved. And people tend to have patterns. So you tend to, if you know yourself and you pay attention, you'll, you'll find that there's patterns, particular emotions that tend to be perhaps more, more unstable or more extreme than some others. So would, would you say that there are kind of habits then we develop? in our behavior as a response to an emotion. Yeah, so I think it's good to have a model for, for what an emotion is. And generally speaking, we have some sort of vulnerability to experience strong emotions. And then there's usually a prompting event that will then trigger an interpretation. You'll interpret whatever has happened, which will then lead to a cascade of biological changes and changes in your posture and changes in your how, how you're feeling, which will then lead to an emotion, and then it will have the consequences of that emotion, which may be behavior. I was wondering what sort of things can cause unstable emotions that are so intense they become a problem? It could be anything. So quite often the, the problem is that it can be something very small, depending on your background and whatever vulnerability factors you have in that particular day. So for example, if you haven't slept, for example, the whole night, you could imagine something very small and trivial, like, I don't know, someone canceling a meeting with you or someone not saying hi would trigger an emotion that perhaps would seem disproportionate or too intense. Whereas on a different day where you slept very well, the same sort of trigger or event would not re result in the same emotion. So it, it's context dependent quite often. That's an excellent example as well, isn't it? You know, those mornings that you're trotting down the corridor and you're smiling, you're feeling quite good in the world today and you say hello to someone and they don't answer back. And you can be flooded with all kinds of negative feelings in that moment. And it can really impact your behavior for the rest of the day if you can't get a handle on it. It's a really great example. And again, it's the interpretation. So quite often that event happens and it's whatever happens in your mind. And that's interpreted as perhaps that person is angry with me, which would be triggering a different emotion to if you interpret it as, oh, they're very busy today. Yeah. So it's kind of reason can't set in at that moment if there is that, that feeling of negativity and we're overwhelmed with that. Okay. So we're meaning making machines as well, aren't we? I guess is what you're also saying. How then can people manage their unstable emotions if they find that maybe more long-term than if they've just slept poorly. How, what sort of things can people do to manage their unstable emotions? Generally, we teach a range of different skills in our inpatient unit. They are part of what's called dialectical behavior therapy. But you can start, for example, by targeting the vulnerability 
factors in your in your life so we've mentioned sleep but diet is very important and exercise is also extremely important and generally having a routine that's a healthy routine without too much alcohol without substances that can change the chemical balance of your brain when you have a healthy routine that includes an adequate amount of sleep and sleep is crucial so you want about seven to eight or eight hours per, per night, ideally. If you have a healthy diet, eating at regular intervals which, uh, and eating healthy food, and you are having you know, a level of activity during the day that's sufficient for you, not too much, not too little, then that makes you less vulnerable to even experiencing extreme emotions in the first place. And that's, that cannot be overemphasized. And I suppose modern life quite often makes it very difficult to have a structured routine with plenty of sleep, exercise and a healthy diet. I'm wondering how challenging that is as well. It's, it's very simple, isn't it? On the one hand, we all know this, live well, look after yourself, sleep well, eat well, drink more water, take some activity. And we know that it works. And when we're in that moment of vulnerability, it's very difficult to tap into that sometimes to keep those routines going. Yeah, and I think that one, one of the problems is that if you start experiencing strong emotions, often the th behaviors that lead, the behaviors that you take to deal with those emotions can be maladaptive. So for example, you might just say, what I really need is a, a drink after such a stressful day or because I'm feeling very upset. And obviously that might make you feel slightly better in that moment. But it will have an impact on your sleep, it will have an impact on your mood the, the following day, which will make you more likely to then experience more intense emotions, which will then again make you more likely to drink and, and so on and so forth. And, and then it kind of gets worse. And just for our listeners, just to kind of differentiate between what we might mean by adaptive behaviors and maladaptive. So adaptive might be when we're teaching a young child not to put their hand in the fire. That's a really good kind of adaptive behavior, isn't it? Don't put your hand in the fire because it's going to burn your hand. And the maladaptive is when it kind of gets out of hand a little bit and we add other narratives in like the drink after work is going to make me feel better. It's been a bad day. I'll have a drink. And then it leads to the two drinks and then on and on. It, it can kind of really develop into some addictive behavior, I guess. Would you say that was a good description? Yeah, I guess you are trading long-term benefits for short-term benefits. And so quite a lot of the maladaptive behaviors can be a good solution for the immediate, immediate moment, but they tend to be poor solutions for the long term. I was wondering about, so particularly for students, one thing that is maybe a bit of a hallmark of the student experience is going out and drinking and possibly not having a super um, tight sleep schedule. Do you have any advice maybe that might be more applicable to students who might not always be able to have a regular sleep schedule they still want to maybe do their drinking on a friday night or a wednesday night where where can they find this balance like i guess it's um, a mixture of things but but generally if you Going out and having fun and enjoying student life is fine. I think that what we're seeing is more and more younger people are drinking less actually than, than in the past. So I think the, 
we have the evidence. The evidence that we have is generally speaking, people shouldn't drink more than 14 units per, per week and people should have a few days off a week without alcohol. And on a night out, 14 units might not seem like, like a lot, but the reality is it does build up. When you're young, you feel strong and healthy. You think, oh, I can get away with it. I can still you know, not sleep enough and go to lectures. But it catches up with you. So you can still have quite a lot of fun and enjoy your student life without having to be drunk. And quite often, if you've slept well and you're feeling good, you will enjoy your, your, your student life and your experience much more. So I would say moderation. It sounds like a boring advice, but it's, it's generally the case. And it, again, it's part of maturing and growing up that the, the older you get, the more you realize how important these things are. And then going back to maladaptive coping behaviors, for example, if something has stressed you out and you go, oh, I just need a drink. Do you have any advice for where to redirect maybe to how to replace your maladaptive go-to coping behaviors with more beneficial ones, more adaptive ones? I guess, again, it's about trying new things. So if you always do the one thing you know, which is having a drink, that will eventually probably catch up with you. And so you have to have a reason to try something else. But just trying, trying something else and see how, how you feel. After a very stressful day, go and do some exercise. Go and, go and try half an hour of aerobic exercise or do, go and lift some weights, for example, and see how that makes you feel compared to having a few drinks. And you might surprise yourself that actually an adaptive behavior makes you feel better than the kind of culturally accepted behavior of going and having a drink. I, what you seem to be describing there are ways that we also need to become self-aware. We need to recognize our patterns. We need to do a bit of work and we need to learn what the coping mechanisms are that we're using now that might not be so beneficial and maybe experiment to learn and find ways that might be more beneficial. So you're also describing a learning process here as well. A lot of it is about learning and experiencing new things, new, new ways of acting and behaving and coping with, with the very difficult events and emotions that, that life brings. And I guess it's, again, generating more awareness. If all you know is the, you know, no, oh, drugs and alcohol will, will solve my problems. And you haven't got any awareness of anything else, then that's difficult. But actually, I think with initiatives like this podcast and the general increase in awareness about mental health and the importance of mental health, I do think that what we're seeing is people and younger people are taking this more seriously and being aware of other coping strategies. Mindfulness, for example, is something that uh, we use and it's certainly becoming more and more popular as a strategy to slow things down and just being able to just become more aware. We get some great hits on our mindfulness workshops that we run here. So, um, you know, I can advocate that as well. So I think something that we haven't talked about yet is maybe, um, so everyone can experience unstable emotions, but sometimes above and beyond where maybe you've not been eating great. So you're feeling a little bit unstable or you haven't slept well or something particularly has bothered you and it's thrown your day off. 
when it becomes something a little bit more long term, is it something that could be a sign of something more? Is it something that at some point it might be something to perhaps see a GP about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we know is that everyone has a different, you know, innate or biological ability to experience emotions. And some people can experience emotions more intensely. And how long those emotions last can, can, can vary from individual to individual. So, and of course, it may be that you are someone who's born in a more sensitive, of a more sensitive nature, or it may be that you're not, but suddenly something happens and your mental health is deteriorating and you, you have developed a problem that requires attention that has made your emotions change. And so certainly seeking help and talking about it is important and your GP is a very good starting point. And you might notice as well that people are noticing that. And again, it tends to be the behavior that gives it away. So if suddenly you're starting to behave in ways that you think actually this is not something I would normally do, or you realize that the behavior that you are engaging in is maladaptive or is not being helpful and you're regretting it, then you need to seek help. You need to try and see how you can solve that. And the more sensitive you are and the more tendency you have to be, to be very emotionally unstable, the more important it is to start looking at ways of managing that and looking after those vulnerability factors and looking at coping strategies to make sure that you are able to cope with those behavior in a more, with those emotions in a more adaptive way. Just coming in there, the um, GP, of course, is a great point of contact, but also ARU's counseling and wellbeing service is a great point of contact with a whole range of services as well. From just a drop in on that day, if you wake up in that morning and are feeling really unstable or low or whatever it is, you know, there are drop ins every day. There is a counseling service, there's a mental health advising service. We have our workshops where you can drop in, keep your camera off if you want to. Don't have to speak if you don't want to, but, you know, there'll be a little experiential exercise and um, some information as well that you can take away. There's an awful lot going on. So, you know, do students who are listening to this tap into aru.ac.uk forward slash wellbeing um, for support because if we feel we can't help you, we can certainly point you in the right direction. So don't be on your own with anything is my message. Picking up on um, something else um, you were saying there, Jorge, is I'm wondering, is there a bunch of us that might be predisposed to feeling or being more sensitive to um, the instability of our emotions than others? If we've been born into trauma or we've had a traumatic experience, might that make us a little more vulnerable? There, there will be a proportion of the population that are just more sensitive and that's that's adaptive, that's a good thing. And you mentioned trauma, and, and trauma can make things more difficult. So if you are, I don't know, of a nature that is particularly insensitive, and you experience some trauma, you might be able to just brush it off more easily. Whereas it makes sense that if you're very sensitive, and you experience some trauma, that will affect you, and the experiences and the emotions that you will experience are more intense. So yes, trauma is definitely a problem that we tend to see associated with many mental health conditions. 
Okay, so for some of us, it just might take us a little longer, a little bit more work, a little bit more support to feel more stable again. Yeah, and I think that the, the important thing to remember is that regardless of your constitution, there's always things that can help and always people that can help you. And there's very good strategies to manage these emotions that are available, but you might not necessarily be aware of them. The key thing is not to stay quiet, it's to do something about it and to speak to people. I think that the, the, the most dangerous thing is just to just keep it all to yourself or be embarrassed about it and not speak up. So talk to people, it will help to make you more aware of the strategies that you can use to make things better. That's a great message, awareness, education, reach out. Brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to take this opportunity to do a quick plug for the peer wellbeing mentors as well, because we're here to, we do lots of events and stuff. So have a look at our socials. And if you need to speak to someone, uh, it might feel a little bit more approachable to talk to a, a wellbeing mentor. If you're a little bit nervous about going to the wellbeing service in terms of counseling or something. So we're also here to talk to if you're having a tough time just one particular day or week or anything we're always here to talk to as well excellent thank you we're just kind of closing coming um to the end now i'm wondering what's left in the atmosphere for either of you that you might want to say before we we finish today i mean i think from my own experience with maybe having some less adaptive coping mechanisms from my own experience, I think it's, it sometimes can take a lot of strength to, shoot, to take that step, take a breath and refrain from maybe having a drink or anything else that isn't maybe the, the best choice for you. So I think any time that you are able to maybe take a breath and have like a little bit of self-restraint and in, engage in a more adaptive coping me mechanism, I think it's also something to be proud of as well. Like every single time you choose an adaptive coping mechanism, I think it's something to maybe give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back from for as well. I think that's so good because we're so good at treating ourselves badly, aren't we? So good at criticizing ourselves and having lots of negative chatter. And we forget, you know, to pat ourselves on the back sometimes and say, and oh, actually, well done there. You know, you sidestepped that or you moved away from that or you made a different choice. It's very empowering, isn't it, to, to be able to stand back and say, actually, no, I made a different choice there. Yeah, it's not always yeah. that easy to look no, after yourself. It isn't. It isn't. Absolutely. And I think also rewarding yourself. If you, if you do something that is good or that you're moving away from a certain behavior that you want to move away and you manage, then being conscious of actually rewarding yourself with something that you want, it helps. So... It could be anything from a simple star chart where you just put the star chart behavior. An, an interesting concept that we've come across is that adults respond to star charts and, you know, behavior changes because of this. So rewarding yourself, obviously, with something perhaps going out somewhere nice or eating something nice or buying something that you want for yourself and just constantly rewarding and being kind to yourself, self-care, etc., will help you reduce that vulnerability of experiencing very strong emotions. So, yeah, I think there's a tendency for us to be quite tough on ourselves, but being kinder generally uh, works out better. Self-compassion, being kinder to ourselves is a great note to end on, I think. 
Thank you both for joining me today. It's absolutely brilliant. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today to talk about managing unstable emotions. If you've been affected by anything we've spoken about in this episode, please reach out to the Counselling and Wellbeing team and make the most of the support we can offer you. Visit aru.ac.uk forward slash wellbeing to find out more about our service and how to get in touch. We'll be back in the next academic year with more episodes, so make sure you follow us on your favourite podcast platform to be the first to know about our next release.